But I must apologise as I start. Uh, I just really felt led to do this as I sat there worshipping. Um, I'm from Penrith. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, not sorry. Something that, for those who weren't, uh, I'm actually a motorsport guy more than I am a, a, a rugby league guy, but when my team is, uh, wins, is it three straight years? I should know, Troy, is it three straight years, Penrith? Three, spell that, T-H-R-E-E, three straight years. I was born in Penrith, raised in Penrith, and normally it's not a claim to fame, but today it's just my one shot at that. Um, funny, it's Bathurst day to day, uh, so it just doesn't get any better for me. I used to drive from Penrith to Bathurst because uh, I had nothing else to do on Saturday afternoon, so I'd just drive over the mountain, do 20 laps of Mount Panorama and come home. That was my idea of fun. Um, but the only reason I raise that is it's completely spiritual, uh, of course. But the reason I raise that, I don't know whether you watched the game. I've got to admit to you, I did not watch that game. I had very little interest in it personally until I saw what happened at the end, which was devastating for anyone wearing maroon. You guys had it won. You had it won. And then some rooster, on, not rooster, some panther on the other side decides, not on my shift, not on my shift. And one person with belief can change. This is the one thing about team sports that I actually love. You don't get it in motorsport. But in, you can in a team sport where the shoulders slump, uh, the team thinks that we're done, it's inevitable. One, one team scored three converted tries, the, the scoreboard, the, sh- the shoulders go down. But then one person just says, no, we can win this. And they just believe it. And they follow that up with enthusiasm. And, and you just watch, you think, Oh, no, look out for this guy. I used to hate it at State of Origin when I was a, a blue supporter because uh, I had to be born that way, you know, and I, and I just knew watching State of Origin, we could be 30 points ahead and Wally Lewis and Alan Langer would get the ball and you just know, we're going to lose this game. They just wouldn't give up. And it was just that singular belief of one person, in their case often two, and they would win the darn game. And we just, just, as a blue supporter, you just knew. You might as well turn the TV off. We're done. We're only 30 points ahead. I was at a pastor's gathering this week, and uh, there was 120, I think, pastors in the room. And we were talking about the state of the church and different things that we're doing, uh, making moves to go forward in the, in the kingdom. And uh, I was reminded of something that one of the key pastors in Australia said, one of the largest churches, had said to me in person quietly over a meal uh, a year or so ago. And I said, what, what's on your heart about what you, what you can inject back into Australian churches? And he said, I, I, I want to convince Australia that they can do it again. What do you mean? Well, Australians have convinced themselves that we can't evangelise. They've convinced themselves in the church world that this whole idea of, of the, the glorious church, of evangelism, of winning people to Christ, somehow we believe the narrative that's come from the media and everywhere else, that that I can tell you statistically is not true. Spirituality in Australia is alive and well. The gospel's doing great. People are hungrier than they've ever been. But somehow a narrative has begun to creep into the church post-COVID that it's just too hard, it can't work, we've lost belief, we've lost even our own personal walks with God. It's almost like we're in a fog. And so you'll notice over the last couple of years I brought numerous series like this one, how do we grow our desire for God again? And I guess what we're trying to do is to reinstill in our hearts the truth. The gospel is not dead. 
the church can win. In fact, everything that we're doing on staff at the moment is planning for that very fact. That's why we're going to, to two services. It's not because we want to grow a, a big church. That's, that's a means to a far more profound end, is that there are so many people in our communities who are desperate for an answer to the questions that they probably can't quite articulate. And so we need to make space for them because the church, the church, Kenmore.church, we don't add people to the kingdom. You do. This has been one of the greatest revelations and understandings for me as a leader. It's actually predominantly not me that does the evangelising. I'm not an evangelist. It's, it's all of us. We're all on mission. We're not missionaries. Most of us, very few become called to be a missionary, but all of us are on mission in our workplaces and so on. And we've got to believe again, not only that we can do it, but that we will do it. We need to raise our shoulders back again and go, heck, I've got authority in this place. We have authority in this community in a spiritual sense and our prayers make a difference. Our actions make a difference. And so what we're trying to do is make space for those who believe that to begin inviting their people, to begin witnessing again, to begin sharing the gospel, sharing love, going out of their way because we've forgotten how to do that. We've forgotten how to go out of our way because we don't believe it's going to make a difference. But it will make a difference. The church will win. I've read the last page of the book. We win. Pick the shoulders up, guys. We're going to plan for that. We're going to start doing that. And so this series is really devoted to that. And so we've, we've entitled it The Growing Desire for God. This is the last one. No one uh, guessed the acronym. Um, someone took a go at the, uh, the final icon there and said it's got to be about Twitter. So that was the calibre of guessing that I was competing against. I was pretty safe. So um, desire was... Uh, and this is all about uh, how, do we, how do we create a space in our life for God to fill with His Spirit? How do we grow in our desire for Him? What do we do in the very limited strength that we have that makes room for God to do what only His strength can do? So we talked about singular devotion. We talked about enlightenment in the sense of a, an encounter, a personal understanding through God's Spirit, through God's Word, that shocking moment where you realise it is true, God is good, He is that good, He can do anything through me and probably will, and it changes your life. And that compels you then to step out in faith. We might even call that stepping out good old-fashioned repentance where we just, we believe and we obey. And then we're inspired by hope that things can get better and it, and it fuels us. God, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete in Greek is the great encourager, Courage within. If, if we're discouraged, then we're not partnering with the Holy Spirit because He is full of excitement. He's full of courage. And if, we, if we, our shoulders are slumped and we think we're going to lose the game, it's because we're not engaging with the Holy Spirit. He is a great encourager. And then we talked last week about relationships that edify, relationships that build you up, and that brings us um, into where we're going to speak today. But just quickly as a recap of last week, uh, in the next slide there, Andre, we talked about the oikos, a Greek word for family, not family, family now. Um, family as uh, friends that you treat like family because many of us who don't have family nearby us have adopted people into our life that we would call family. Oikos is a Greek word for that close inner circle. People that we have just life in common with. They may not be like us, different career, different looks, different everything, but it's just like you're my, you're my brother from another mother, we're, you know, we're just in this thing together till the end. And it can be your family, but it, you can have a few more people there. We also talked about the church and the, the very specific role the local church can play in our life 
because of the presence of the Spirit in us individually and then the synergy of faith of a, of a group of people who become a local expression of Christ's body on earth and how God equips us and brings us spiritual relationships in there. All right. So what we find is that the flip side of the coin of love for God, and we're all called to love God with our heart, soul, strength and mind. The flip side of that coin is a natural overflow of love for people. And there are elements of our desire for God that can only come, you can't find them in a room on your own with God. It's a fascinating process because he's designed us to be engaged with people. We're designed to engage with other people. In Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, if you're a hand, you can't live without the arm. There's something that comes in our relationship with, with God that is, is a result of our engagement with other people. And uh, to do that, that requires us to actually go. We need to go out of our closet and engage with human beings in all sorts of places. If we're not balancing our doing and our being, if these things don't work together, because there's just some things you can only learn and experience as you're doing something, um, then we get out of balance. If I'm, a, if I'm a go type person, if I'm someone who wants to be on mission, I want to be out there all the time, often I've found a, a huge amount, a huge proportion of those people who are just obliged to go out and lay themselves on the altar of lives for everybody else, if that's done in the absence of an ability to fill our soul with God's presence, they often become exhausted, disenchanted, cynical, all that kind of thing. And they're doing good things, but it's burning them out. Likewise, there's imbalance the other way as well. So we need both doing and being. So the final element of our desire for God is E, which is engaging others, uh, engaging with other people, particularly engaging those to multiply blessing. So now we're not talking about those who are our spiritual friends. We're talking about going out and engaging with the world because the blessing that we have in our life, it's multiplied. We receive it, but it's multiplied by giving it away. Paul talks about this, uh, I think it's in Ephesians uh, 3, about the, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold, if you understand mechanics, a manifold, one, one pipe goes in, many pipes come out. It's a manifold. And the manifold wisdom of God means that I can go out and multiply that which has been given in. Now, the fun fact about our walk with God is that our personal experience of Him, and there's no sort of faking this, our personal experience of God is at its absolute height when it overflows to become an experience of God for other people, that others receive somehow what we've received from God. And inversely, the first sign of our own emotional and spiritual tank being empty is that we lose empathy and care for other people. We just go, I've just run out of care. And I think we all have those moments of compassion fatigue in our life. And we just realise... A few weeks ago, I would have cared about this situation, but now I don't. And that's not, that's not a, a recognition of, of anything other than the state of our own heart. Our heart's not full because when our heart is full of God's love, we can't help but it overflows into care and compassion for other people. And so that, this graph there, I've shown this many times and in many ways, that's a, that's a graph uh, of spiritual maturity, our response to the, to the grace of God and awareness of that. And the highest point there, the highest expression of that is reproduction. It's where I can self-grow. I don't need a church service or a Bible study. I can, I can take care of my own spiritual maturity. I can reproduce that way. But, but greater than that is that I can reproduce that in other people as well. And so if, if we're in a moment of maturity in Christ, the key indicator of that is that people around me are growing as well. 
It's fascinating, though, we look at that and we go, that's the measure of success for a Christian, is it? Yeah, well, yeah, in, in many ways, that's the height to which we can go. But it's, it's never in isolation. You can't grow fruitfulness in the absence of the other elements being there. And indeed, you can't grow in fruitfulness any greater than the other levels are there. So if you want to be more fruitful, you've got to start back again and grow more faith and more following and so on. But the world doesn't judge you that way. The world judges you very differently and it will judge you based on success measures of, of finance, uh, wealth, good looks, achievements, title. Um, you know, you think, I'm, I'm someone now because I just got the promotion, you know, or I'm someone now because look at my house or, or they love my shoes, I, I don't know, whatever it would be. Um, the, the world will measure you that way and we're often inclined to measure ourselves that same way. But God's measure, eternal measure, is not measured that way at all. All of that gets brushed aside and in our moments of greatest insight, we recognise those things are so meaningless. They're all going to be gone. No one's going to care in 100 years how successful you were. No one's going to care. No one will probably remember your name. In God's eternal economy, the things that matter are the people you've been fruitful with. It's the legacy. It's the lives that have been impacted. And no one gets on a higher pedestal here than anybody else. I mean, the preacher with the microphone, don't, take, don't think for a moment this, this, this role that I have elevates me beyond anyone in, spiritual, in the kingdom. Not, not at all. There may well be the majority of this church, when we all get to heaven, if we've got some form of a scorecard there, you're way ahead because you've been faithful with who God's called you to be. You've stopped and you've invested your life in the one. It's not a performance by a microphone. I can do things and that's influence, but that's not impact. It's not the same. The only thing that matters when it comes to impact is proximity, closeness. Who sees me up close and personal? My wife's here, my, my daughter's here, my grandsons are here. What, what impact am I making on their life? Because that is going to be the, the only impact that lasts forever. Those people in those closest circles like that. I don't know whether you've been to a funeral of, of people. Uh, you've probably all been to a funeral, but... You measure the funeral of someone who's seen success in the world and, and they'll begin by talking about their titles and their influence and all those sorts of things, but they'll finish talking to the sons and the daughters and the husbands and the wives will get up and they'll talk about the impact that person made in their life and how they'll never be forgotten because they're imprinted now on the life of somebody else. Some of the most glorious moments I've had as a Christian are uh, hosting a funeral or attending a funeral by someone who's just invested their life below the radar into, some, into another group of people. I remember, uh, if anyone here remembers, a man called Ray Peck, um, just a legend in the faith in this area, in inner healing ministry. And his funeral, I think six or 700 people came to that funeral. And, and one of the guys, instead of giving a eulogy, said, everyone in the room, stand up if this person's presence changed your life irrevocably. 600-odd people stood up and that's all he had to say and he sat down. Talk about impact. And anyone can have impact. You don't need a degree. You can be as ugly as a rock. You can be dumb as a stone. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you've been born in Penrith or in Red Hill. You know, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a green field. It's a level playing field. We can all have incredibly fruitful lives when it comes to the real stuff of impacting people's life. So Matthew 28, 9 and 20, we, we know it off by heart. Go into all the world. Uh, and make disciples, teach them to obey the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always. That missional sending that we have sends us all out. We're not all missionaries, but we're all on mission. It, it, it applies to all of us. 
that this is the, the honour and the, the fruitfulness that we get to experience. So who are these mission fields? So we've seen the extent before. If we just put the next slide up there, Andre. Uh, made that, yeah. Did I miss a scripture there somewhere? Probably did. Doesn't matter. As long as we've got an infograph, we'll be on track. Sorry about that. I don't mean that. Um, we see all those different circles of life that we talked about last week, the crowd, the followers, disciples, the inner circle. We saw how our oikos fits in. We saw how the church fits in. And where they overlap God there doesn't mean that they take the place of God. It means that my relationship with God overlaps into that relationship has an, and has a spiritual impact into their life as well. But there are two more circles now we can put up on screen, and that is those in our workplace and those in our tribe. And I'll just skip over those pretty quickly because we all have these areas in our life. When I say workplace, I probably should say marketplace or I could say um, your community because not all of us uh, have an active vocation going on, but we all, have a, we all have a realm where we're engaging with people who are not in a Christian circle. And uh, it could be school mums, play group, uh, it could be a workplace, whatever that would be. It's a marketplace of life. And we intersect with those people in that space based on a connection point. And you'll remember from last week, Every relationship we have is based on at least one single point of, of commonality. There's something that we have in common with these people. So obviously in the marketplace, it's normally a common focus. There's an objective that we're trying to achieve, and it might be a P&L, a, a bottom line on a, on a spreadsheet. It might be a, a sales goal. It might be to accomplish something as an NGO. It might be to bring up great kids in a school, all these sorts of things. It's an area of common focus, and we exist in that circle because we have that common focus. Now, it's also meeting another need because it may well be a financial need. I need a job, I've got to pay off the mortgage and so on. But as far as the organisation is concerned, it exists to achieve something. Or if it doesn't, it's probably going to go nowhere pretty quickly. In those environments, God is not woven into there necessarily. It's not an intrinsic part of that environment. The God element is there. So often our, our yellow circle there of our marketplace will be distinct from our walk with God. And we'll be praying, we'll be doing all that we can there, but that, that's not why that circle exists. And yet we're called into that circle. God loves the people in there. But in that circle, the way we grow credibility, and credibility is, is, equates to the ear that people will have for us to take us seriously. Our credibility in that place is based on our, largely on our competence in what we're doing. People won't listen to you in that area if you're incompetent or you lack credibility in that space. And so you'll often find someone with a great heart for the gospel who's lousy at their job or they're, they're lazy or, or the rest of the marketplace, the workplace there goes, this guy's not here for the right reasons. We're, we're carrying this guy. If that guy starts to then say, oh, by the way, let me tell you about Jesus, you're not going to get a welcome here because your, your credibility is based on confidence, on what you bring to the team to achieve that common point. And so we've got to understand, okay, that's, but that's my mission field. So part of my mission is to be good at my job. In fact, part of my mission is that people recognise I, I am very faithful in this place. I'm incredibly good at stewardship in this place. I take this seriously. I'm honouring the reason I'm here, the reason I'm being paid and, and the people around me. I treat them with respect and I do that often by being good at my role and maybe helping them in their role as well. Um, and so competency gains us a year. The next, the next section, the tribe, Tribe, uh, I've, I've spoken on this many times. Tribe is this, oh, no, sorry, go back one. Tribe is the distinct place. That's the place where we often want to be, our tribe. Um, often we call it the church, our tribe. But normally it's, it's um, your sporting groups. 
sewing clubs. Um, it's a, sorry, I don't want to offend. I don't know where people's tribes are. Uh, you can tell mine's not sewing clubs or sporting teams. Um, but I know, I, I hear quite frequently people say, my sporting club is my church. Why do they say that? Because the people there are nicer to them than in their church. They just get on because it's, it's simple. Church world gets weird. Church, church people get weird. I know. We bring the God thing into everything, our version of the God thing. We feel entitled to bring our opinion about every, you know, small belief set that we've got and bring it into every conversation because we know because we've read a book, you know, or, or I know a verse or something. And so the Christians can often become the weird people because we're not just normal people, we're normal people plus all this God stuff and we process this God stuff in our own way and often it's not fully processed. Often we're not emotionally intelligent and we, you know, and it gets weird. And so people go to a sports group and go, the people are just so nice here. They don't complicate it. They don't judge me. Because church people can be judgy. I don't know whether you've noticed that because we've got this huge moral grid. We know right and wrong better than anyone. So when we see something wrong, we go, oh, sinner. You don't get that in a sports club. No one cares. You've had your third affair. I don't care. We're here to ride a bike. Just get on with it. Jersey's great, you know. And so people feel welcomed in that space. It's simple. And we're there for common interest because we both love the same things. And we just and you get this diverse, like church in one way, you get this diverse group of people come together with this one thing in common. And they just love it. And so you'll get a lawyer next to a motor mechanic and suddenly the lawyer's doing favours for the motor mechanic, the motor mechanic servicing the the, the lawyer's car. Otherwise, you'd never get a look in otherwise. But because you're in the same tribe, suddenly there's this inherent loyalty that comes because we've got the same jersey on. And that's all that's the same, but suddenly this, this uh, credibility in each other's sight, this favouritism grows because of this, we're in the same tribe. So I love that about tribes. I, I think the more church can be like a tribe sometimes, the better, where we, just, we don't judge each other, that we accept everyone. We try and hear each other's stories and appreciate them for who they are, not how we think they've performed. Unconditional love. That's what a church should be all about. But in these spaces, that's our mission field. God loves those people so much that he sent you to be in there with them. And so these two places are necessary spaces in our life. God's called most of us to be predominantly in that spaces within your 167 hours of the week. Uh, I am weird in the sense I get to spend all my time here. I mean, I'm going to set up a bed. It, it just, this is my thing. You're my tribe. You're my family. You're my oikos. You're my, you're my everything. Uh, so it, 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 that's why I'm so weird, if you've ever wondered. Just I need to get out more. <laughs> but you get to spend, and God's called you into those places. Be blessed to be you. But it brings all its challenges. God calls you to be in there, but you've got to understand where's my currency in that space? How do I earn credibility to, to win that voice to be heard in that space? So the stage one of this is to really um, allow God to be in that space with you. So that's the next slide. So you'll see the, oh, no, not that one. Is there one before that? No, that's it. I've left the slide out. That's where it's gone wrong. So the slide that was supposed to be in there is the yellow one moving closer in. So we want to bring God into that space that is our mission field. And that's not always by immediately telling people the gospel. It's by being Jesus in that place. 
So Dallas Willard's greatest definition of a disciple is that we would be who Jesus would be if Jesus was me. And so if Jesus was in your workspace, if he was in your family, in your tribe, who would Jesus be? Would he be weird? I think Jesus would have been the most popular guy. I'm in this weird thing called a, um, called, uh, oh, it's called Zwift. It's, a, it's an online cycling community. At any point I can log on online and there's like five to 7,000 people globally from all these different time zones. And we just do these rides together, you know, and they're all on the chat. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. But now and again you get this person just spring in um, and they just never shut up. And I'm an introvert, so I just want to get on there and cycle. Just don't talk to me. Just let me draft you and make it a bit easier for you. But these people, you get them on the chat and you think, that's really annoying right now. But then you see all these people begin to respond and think they're loving this. And then once every 10 years, I'll respond and put a funny comment in and then I'll, then I'll shut down. That was stupid, you know. But, but then this person who, who's taken on the role of social director, it doesn't, they're in different countries. No one's ever met them. But suddenly they're in, this, they're in this app and they're chatting away and suddenly everyone is liking them. Everyone's making them a favourite. And then when they come online, it notifies. Everyone gets on their app and goes, thumbs up. Why? No one knows who they are, but they're just happy. They're just nice to people. And they've taken on this role of social director. And it's like, that's a great idea. And we're not all called to be social directors, and this is not a social club, but there is just something about when people are actually nice to one another. Christians are so serious. We feel obliged to be like lemon-sucking old, because we, we've got the holiness thing sorted out. We know it's, and all these conversations are so unholy. And so we divorce ourselves from, our, from people. You can actually be still embedded in that scene and it doesn't, you don't have to lose your holiness. You can still be exactly who God's made you to be because I reckon Jesus would be in that space. He would be out there. He would be in your marketplace. He'd be in your workplace and he'd be, people would want to be around him because he's bringing love, he's bringing acceptance, and acceptance of the person doesn't mean I accept their decisions. It means I'm accepting them as a person. And he would have brought them to life. And they would have been signing up to his Twitter account and giving him a thumbs on when he gets online or whatever, you know, because he, was, he would have just been, didn't he not attract thousands of people? Thousands of people. And they never knew him, but they wanted to be around him. And I think our influence can begin to grow if we do that as well. And that influence grows by showing, uh, be nice, show genuine concern for people, be trustworthy, uh, build a reputation, uh, be concerned for people. Just be the sort of person you wish was around you when you needed someone. And, and just, because that's who Jesus would want to be in those situations. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 10, 15, where Paul's talking about his, this sort of circle idea. He says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. He's saying, as we grow you, the circle gets bigger. So as I, as I go deeper in with one person's life at a time, as I invest, I love them, I'm there for them, that gets out, that leaks out. The best, the best um, reference you can get is, is not the reference you give for, from yourself. It's the reference someone else gives you. See, I've, I've come at my age now, I don't believe anything anyone tells me about themselves when it comes to a reference. I go, thanks for that, I'm ringing the person who knows you best. Self-refereeing is not really effective. But when someone else passes the word, that, 
And, they, and sometimes it's not even a word. They just watch and they know that person has changed because you love them. You were there for them. You could have judged, but you reached out and you didn't do that. You were there for them. So to go wide, to get that circle growing, we actually need to go deep in the lives of the people around us. And the gig economy, if you're understanding what the gig economy is now, which is the current way people do, do life, um, a gig economy means I'm just bouncing from one situation to the next, one contract to the next, um, one job description to the next, one company, one, one rung on the ladder to the next. We've got a mindset in our world now that, that is a gig economy. So there is no loyalty. When I first came into the workplace, some of you may remember this, all the people who trained me uh, had been in that one job, some of them for 40 years, never thought a moment about not being in that environment. They were loyal um, to that company, comfortable in that company. Now two years is a long stretch, hey? Um, but what that does is it degrades that missional aspect of our life because every time you uproot yourself, all those relationships, all those roots in your life get uprooted as well. We're constantly moving on and we, have to, we need to build again. That's why I, I just, I'm still a fan of longevity in things that you, you, you make roots, not just with time and not just with energy, but with your heart, that you make roots. If God has placed you in an environment, he hasn't placed you in, in an environment to start looking at the next green field over the fence. There's something about that that shifts in the spirit. But if once we decide what church we're in, perfect or not, what job we're in, what house we're in, where God has placed us and we allow ourselves to be at peace and thankful for who God's put us with and where he's put us, humble or, or not, something happens in that environment where he equips us to minister to the people within that, that metron, that blast radius. There is something where he, he says, you're committed, I'm committed to you in that space. And most of the blessing that, that will come to us in future seasons of our life normally will come because we've been faithful and fully committed to the environment that God's put us in at that time, to the people that he's put us with. Because they can smell a, a gig person a mile away. Oh, you're just going to be here. You're, I'm not going to confide. I'm not, I'm not going to trust. And yet the kingdom and the world really is built on that trust, on those relationships. So these sorts of things are obviously a long-term journey. Um, I remember the people that, that Trish and I led to the Lord. We had it looked like we had a revival, about 10 or 12 of them came to the Lord in two or three weeks. But we'd spent 10 years building those relationships. It just takes time. People deserve time. They deserve that. Don't be too quick to look for a promotion. Don't be too quick to move on from the places. And so um, as I was studying um, uh, all the things that we're going through at the moment about multiplying discipleship, churches, all those sorts of things that are going on in the, all the engines in the back of my head, I came across some great training uh, about a year or so ago that said, it asked the question, does your church have disciplines around this engaging other space? Does it have disciplines or practices? That's a better word in this day and age. People don't like discipline. Uh, but practices, things that we do that are common to, the, to your church that keep promoting and keep reminding people to get out. And, and a few weeks ago, we had a series called uh, Bless. And... Um, what I did was, was uh, crack open another guy's acronym. I can't own this one. It was nearly as good as ours, but, it, but it was, it'll do the job. Uh, called Bless. And I'll just get you to put that one up there, Andre. And it was from a book by a fellow called Dave Ferguson. Uh, he wrote the book called Bless. It'll be frozen. That's all right. I'll talk through it. I know them because they're on my notes. B-L-E-S-S. And we went through this as a three-week series. There was... There was the B was dodgy because it was B in prayer. 
So it's, but plus wasn't going to work, so he, he went for B in prayer. So we begin, in our, in our area of, of that radius of impact, we begin by praying. All of us can do this. So next year, um, I'm going I'm to do a new church survey and it's going to include all the things that we want to have as a normal part of a growing relationship with Christ and just ask the church to give us feedback uh, anonymously uh, how we're going with different things. And one of them will be this blessed framework, is, is are we praying for people? And, uh, of course, I want us all to be honest. Don't put a tick against that if you're not. But just to remind us that this is the way we see normal Christianity. There should be some outreach going on there. And it can begin with prayer. Uh, and you can ask the people in, your, in those circles, would it be okay if I pray for you? Very few people will say no. How can I be praying for you this week? It's incredible the difference. L was listened to understand. So stop and hear people's story. I found personally this is the single greatest uh, element in my life that brings me back to the place of uh, engaging and caring for other people is taking the time genuinely to stop and just I just want to know, and this will probably never get old for me, even though time is getting harder to do it, where just to, just to hear your story. And you've got the right, if, I, if you find I, I bounce off that too quickly, please pull me up on the spot because that is the last thing. I think all of us who are ministers and, and, and key leaders should be willing to, to stop and listen, not because we have to, but because you matter. You really do matter. And your story matters. And your story can change the world. So listen to people to understand. The E was to, for, to eat together, is to invite people over to your place to have food. Everything seems to happen over food in this, in this culture. Uh, the first S was serve, to find ways to serve. So find their area of need. And it might be mowing a lawn. It might be helping with a, a program or something. But find a way where you can actively serve that person. And then the final S was story. So you share your, not necessarily a perfectly presented gospel tract, but just your story of faith. Those, those five disciplines globally are proven to be the most effective outreach that a person can have and a church can have, is to add those five, to be praying, to be listening to people who aren't Christians, to have a meal with them, to serve them, and to share your story ultimately. But you've earned the right to share your story after you've done those other things. Looks like we're blank. We're getting there? Doesn't matter now. So this series has been all about inciting desire for God because this matters, because post-COVID still, generally speaking, there's been a fog around a lot of, lot of Christianity. A lot of us have felt like, and this has come from listening to people, they felt like, you know, my faith, I, look, I, I absolutely believe in God, no question there. Got questions about what the church does. It's, it's far from perfect. But it's almost like those days where God was the engine room of my life have gone. It's like that was, a, that was another time. And, and it seems to be that COVID marked a point, and I could see the lead up to this, it was already beginning, but it, it accelerated that trend, where it's almost like people have lost the belief and the hope and the desire that this engine room is God. My desire for God can change me, it can change my world, that my shoulders can go back, I can believe again, and I can, and I can make a difference in this world. And, the, and the, the Spirit globally seems to be working to restore those fires again. And so even though I may change the subject, this theme will continue to rise up until the flames begin to burn in a whole new way. We're not going to go back to the way things were because that way is gone. 
God is always about the new thing. But this new thing requires belief from each of us to say, yes, this can happen because the kingdom always advances. It never goes backwards. It may look like it on the surface sometimes because church ways we do that rise and fall, but the kingdom has never taken a step backwards since Jesus rose to heaven. It's always advancing. And the gospel hunger out there is strong. And it just requires us to have that little bit of belief in us. I can have this conversation and it's going to make a difference into people's lives. So this series has been all about that. I hope it's been of some help to those who, who watch the whole thing. It's all online there. But what we need to do is turn our good intentions into intentionality. This is the point where it rubs. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do that one day. Well, this is that day. What, what are we going to do about this devotion to God, this dedication, this desire? As I was preparing and I, and I, I heard a story, a, a pastor shared it with me. He used to be a guy I had on staff at a different church and a lovely guy and he reminded how he got in the ministry. I said, remind me again. He said, it was, it was Rob, he said. And it's okay to share the name because his name was Rob. Uh, he said, it was that guy, Rob. I said, what happened to Rob? He said, don't you remember what happened to Rob? And I'd gone, I'd gone to this church and, and I'd, I'd preached a word about God's power and his ability to change people's lives. And, and this guy, Robbie, he was a great guy. He was an uh, Australian representative in a sporting field and, and uh, he's only a young fellow, but he had it all going on. And he tried, he tried with his strength in the years that he'd been a Christian to have a really good go at the whole faithfulness thing. Let's just do the right thing and this thing's going to be worth doing in the end. But it, and he'd become a leader and he'd done a whole heap of stuff, but it left him dry. And, uh, and he was sort of, his tank was low and his belief was getting low. And suddenly this guy comes in and starts preaching a different message about the power of God. And I challenged him one-on-one. I remember the story after it was replayed to me. I, I remember talking to him and saying, I dare you to give God the very best of your heart and your soul now for 12 months in the environment that I'm going to put you through. And you're going to, and you're going to come out of that 12 months seeing God's power and believing that he can do anything. And so he dedicated himself to that. He, he, he didn't do anything else. He didn't repent of anything. He just said, no, nah, okay, I'll give God the best year of my life. And he came to one of our retreats and uh, on a weekend and, and I missed most of it. I was praying for other people, but, but God touched this guy so significantly. It was an eye-opening, veil-removed, um, wow, I've never, I've never known this about God before moments. In our desire acronym, it was the, the moment of, of enlightenment where God, he just said, it was like Peter when Jesus said, throw the nets out and caught all the fish. Okay, I'd heard about you, but now I've met you face to face. He had that sort of a moment. And so immediately God challenged him about areas of his life. There was this after the enlightenment, he'd made a dedication, D, there'd been an enlightenment moment. Then he had to step out. To hear was to obey. There were areas of his life that he knew they were way out of alignment with where God would want his life to be with holiness. So on the, on the spot and never had to go back again, repentance, fierce, you know, black and white, that stuff is out of my life and he dealt with it. And then he began to shift in his mind to a whole better understanding of what could be because he knew what he'd just been through. He knew what God had just done in him and he was prepared to make decisions that he hadn't been making all his life but he could see hope again. Suddenly, he's the guy on the team now that says, oh, we can do this. This, is, this changes everything. God's real. God's powerful. Look what he's done in my life. I'm free. And, and he just couldn't help but could become contagious about that. And he built new spiritual friendships and he couldn't in, help but influence all those in his, in his different orbits of sports and, and work and all the things. He was never the same. You know, his, his wife loved it, as most of our wives do when us guys get our act together. But he had to take that first step 
which was devotion. I set him a challenge and he gave his best year to God. He sort of thought he always had, but he hadn't given God his heart. He'd given God his labour and his strength. But Jesus said, you've got to give God all your heart, your soul, strength and mind. And so we're trying to do that as a church as well. We're trying to create these spaces for you. We've been doing it now for four and a half years, if you've been along for that whole journey. And next week, we, um, this is our last weekend together at 9am. Start. I know. There's, when they come in at 9 o'clock next week, let's give them a cheer. Um, I've had, I, don't know, I don't know how else to communicate this. We've said it every week for two months. There's posters on the walls. It's been in every email. It's all over social media. And 10 times today I've still been asked, when are we going to another service? And wasn't it 10.30 or was it, was it 6? What time are we getting here? Like, just read, you know. God love you. So next week it's 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. And, and we're, not doing, we're not building an empire here. We're, that's the last thing on our mind. But our heart burns for those who are out there who just need an invite and someone to grab them and say, come along to church. Come and meet some people and come and listen to what God's doing. And, and so next week we're, we're combining that with that outreach service of why this. The, the boys, uh, Sandy and Liam, have done a great job with this. It's going to be a great couple of weeks. So it's not a sort of service where we don't come because you're already a Christian. So if anybody here is a Christian, um, please come next week as well. But for those of you who have want to invite people, also bring them. Because the more people in the room, the, the more a new believer or unbeliever comes in and goes, there must be something to this and, and it breeds that energy and excitement. So please do that. So we need your help now. So this has become great. This has become comfortable. Uh, but we need your help now because what we're effectively doing is church planting again. We're sort of starting again. And even though we're going to start pretty strong, we need, we need a, a church planter's mindset among the church. You're all on the planting team. So we need people to come to both services. Um, the kids' ministry is only happening in the 10. So you can, if you're on team for that, you can come in the eight and then serve on the 10 or you can join another team and, and do likewise. But we'd love to get just a, a committed group of people coming to each service so that they become a viable entity quickly. And we know the numbers are going to be reduced and it's going to feel different. We're sort of wanting to embrace that, to be honest, and, and use that as a mission field so that, oh, now there's, there's more people I can, I can engage with now. Or you can, I can treat one as a, as a fill-me-up service I can, and I can treat one as a mission engagement service where I can come to that one with the express purpose of meeting people and hearing their story and sharing with them. So we're hoping that you really will be in with us on that, that they'll invite people to come along and be a part of that. Um, it's really it's all we can do as a church. We believe God is moving. I mean, what he's done here with us so far has been miraculous, nothing short of miraculous. I was told by the head of our movement, you can't do it. Yeah. He was right in one way, bless his soul. He was absolutely right in one way. You know where he was right? I couldn't do it. But my dedication was I want to see how Jesus builds a church because I've proven I can't do it. And this has been a church that Jesus has built. He was also right in the fact that we have no, we have no space. This, this facility is, is dodgy when it comes to our kids' ministry. And so we're still working at that. But we just did it anyway. You know, and our kids workers, bless their souls, they work so hard and we're going to be doing all we can and there's still hope that we can build more spaces. But materially, this, it shouldn't have worked. But look at you all. It's the greatest group of people I've ever seen in a local church. But I think God wants to do more because if we don't go to our second service, we can't 
we can't take any more people. This is as full as it will get. And But there are, I'm convinced there's more out there, thousands of people more in our area. And thank God there are more churches planting all around this area. And God love them. I want them to prosper as well. But I think we've got more capacity here uh, with the people God's given us to advance this thing. But it will lean back on, on yourselves, not just us as staff, to begin inviting and sharing and be who God's called all of us to be, to play our part. And it's very exciting. So can I pray for us all as we go forward? And let's just see what God will do over the next couple of years. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done. We want to take a moment to celebrate that which was impossible. You made a way where there was no way. You've done what everyone said couldn't be done, as you always do. And so, Lord, we choose now to believe. We choose to have hope because hope is biblical. Hope for a better day. Hope for what can be. Hope based on who you are and what you've always proven to do and always proven to be. Lord, we know out there, you love all of us. You love all of them as well, just as much. And we can't grasp that sometimes, but you're calling so many people who aren't in this room. Lord, we pray for them right now that you would open their eyes, that you'd create divine moments and relationships and encounters with, with people from this church and they would invite them in to build a friendship, to be praying for them, listening to them, eating with them, serving them, sharing their story. Lord, I just endorse, I wanna pray your anointing on every single person in this room. Lord, in heaven's eyes, they are in full-time ministry. Lord, we endorse them to go out as ministers from this church, representatives of what you're doing in this place, fully empowered, tanks full, hearts full, fueled for mission. Send us out, Father. I pray that even today, each of us would have an opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.